Welcome to the Israel Bible Podcast. My name is Cindy Parker. I am an author, a speaker, and the professor of Holy Land Studies at the Israel Bible Center. I am passionate about reading the Bible in the physical, historical, and cultural context of its day. But what I really like doing is having geeky conversations with people about all kinds of things. In this podcast, I'd like to invite you to join me as I sit down each week with other faculty members of IBC to discover new aspects of the Bible. These are some of my favorite dialogues because as a modern audience reading an ancient text, we know that the Bible does not need to be rewritten, but it needs to be reread. So this year, we seem to have gone down this path that is all about hell, Gehenna, Ruach, or spirit. And I figured, why not just push into this just a little bit more? Because issues related to things we cannot always see intrigue us. So why not talk about the actors in the spiritual realm, angels and demons? A couple months ago, IBC held a hot topic seminar on this subject and had four scholars participate, Dr. Yeshaya Gruber, Dr. Nicholas Shazer, and Dr. Ashley Lyon, and a special guest from Brazil, Dr. Tupa Guerra. And if you're sad you missed out on the live version of the conversation, be sure to sign up for the IBC email so you always know what new conversations are on the horizon. Now, something that really strikes me about this particular conversation is how the ideas that Jews had about the supernatural realm changed. There's a growing complexity through time as to how people understood the relationship between their world and the supernatural, or at least invisible world. Now, the recording of their conversation has not yet been released, so this is really just a small appetizer to the full meal that will be available soon. In the meantime, if you really want to dig in and find out more and explore, you can check out a roundtable talk with Dr. Lauren Stuckenbrook called Angels and Evil in Second Temple Judaism, or a talk between Nicholas Shazer and Michael Heiser called The Unseen Realm in the Bible. I will put links to both of those talks in the show notes to this episode. This talk is called Angels and Demons in the Hebrew Bible, but I thought we would divide that into two different episodes. So, angels, what do we know about them? Lean in and enjoy the conversation. So malach in Hebrew is how usually English translate usually English translations are going to translate that with angel. The reason for that is actually not a Hebrew reason, it's a Greek reason. Because in the Greek Septuagint, the translation of the Hebrew Bible into Greek, um, it translates malach, which is messenger, with angelos. So you can hear the word angel in that. And so that's how we get uh, the word angel. But in Hebrew, uh, with Jacob in Vayeshlach, Jacob sends earthly terrestrial malachim, messengers, as does God send heavenly malachim. Um, But they're messengers too. They're messengers on God's behalf. After this, the panel started talking about the first instance of messenger in the Bible. Do you know where it is? Well, it happens to come in the story of Hagar in Genesis 16-7, where it says, Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by the spring on the way to Shur. 
Now, my mind always goes to the geography in the passage, but the panel picked up on a really interesting idea related to Angel of the Lord. I think one of the very interesting things that this passage shows is this, how the word is messenger, and then you know it's an angelic or what we will call angelic afterwards, uh, because it's associated with God. So it's it's clear that the messenger is not a common human that's just walking around. And, and that's a very important thing sometimes, that to the words, not necessarily, sometimes you need to look at the words around the word to, so, to understand the meaning, not as if any language has the same. Any language has words that can be used to more than one thing. So it's the same. And it's very interesting to see how it constructs and how it interacts with other words. But Tupa, that already raises two more questions, I think, um, because here you have actually Malach, uh, I'll say Adonai, you know, Malach Yudhevave, the what's translated often uh, into English as the angel of the Lord, who seems to be kind of a special character, not just an angel, but a special angel. Um, and there's been a lot of speculation about that figure. So that that's one direction of questioning. And the other would be what you said about distinguishing which kind of messenger it is. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, or actually tell me your opinion, because I don't really know. I'm just speculating as well. But it seems to be very often in the Hebrew Bible, when we have also a divine malach messenger, that that messenger or angel appears like a human being. It goes back a bit for it, because when we look into the scripture, what we see is that the messengers tend to have a human form when they are interacting with humans, because their true form, it's something that we can't even comprehend sometimes. So they take the human form so they can interact with humans and they can talk and but they are not they have usually when they are described they have something different they are not like just a common human that you find anywhere right yeah that's so interesting and that actually starts to get us to the footnote as well i mean what alter is saying here is that he notes this is the first occurrence of an angel in quotation marks. And then the divine speaker here begins as an angel, but ends up in verse 13 being referred to as though he were God himself. And then there's some more speculation about, well, what is an angel really? Is it like a part of God split off from God? How would you understand the relationship between the actual creator and his messengers? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would say that the the line between God in heaven and God's malach, God's messenger, is not a bright line. It's a very blurry line. Uh, the same thing that happens with Hagar here happens, say, with Moses at the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3, where an angel of the Lord speaks from the midst of the bush to Moses, and then the very next verse, or a couple verses later, says the Lord spoke to Moses from the bush. So that is the text, the biblical text um, sort of forces the reader to dispense with a, a bright line between the God of Israel and the Malach Hashem, the, the angel of the Lord. I, I, I do want to note really quickly, I guess I had never thought about it before, but I, I think it's amazing that this is the first instance of a, of a Malach to, to Hagar, who's not an Israelite, who's an Egyptian, whose name Hagar means the stranger, uh, and, it's, and it's God sending God's messenger to her first. I just think that that's a wonderful thing. And um, it's with a message of deep care and concern. Absolutely. And uh, and, and, yeah. and, and, and in fact, it's, this is going to be the inverse of what's going to happen to the Hebrews in, 
in Egypt. Right now we have an Egyptian stranger cast from the presence of Hebrews, that is Abraham and Sarah, into the wilderness. And then when we get to Exodus, we're going to have Hebrews cast into the wilderness from the midst of Egyptians. Hmm. Uh, so th- this interplay shows that God's deep care and concern, not only for Israel, but for other nations as well, in, in particular for, for the stranger, which is why we get in the wilderness when the Israelites are there after the Exodus. Remember that you too were strangers in Egypt. Uh, one more quick thing, and I just think it's kind of funny, is the first word, Vayimtza'ah, the, hmm. the Malach found yeah. her in the wilderness. That is, it denotes like this idea that the Malach Hashem, the angel of the Lord, was looking around right. in the wilderness yeah. and, and found, yeah, yeah, where is she? And found her. Um, it doesn't say, and the Malach uh, looked down from heaven and knew where she was already and went to her. It's not what it says. Uh, just kind of a cool word, you know, matzah to find. Uh, you, you don't usually associate looking and finding with divine beings, but it's right there in the text. Yeah, and we have that from the beginning of Genesis, right? From the garden, you know, where are you, Adam? And um, then, uh, you know, other things that are portrayed in similar language, like God's uh, God wondering if he can find 10 or 20 or 50 or, you know, however many righteous people in uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. You know, it's very interesting how the language is used in that way. Right, and God has to send Malachim, has to send, yeah. uh, well, they, at first you think it's just story. two yeah. humans, and then it turns out that they're two angels or two messengers from God, yeah, to check it out, to check out Sodom and Gomorrah and to find out whether the outcry is as bad as, as things really are. So, yeah, it, it, just to go back to what Tupa was saying about this kind of, you know, the question of, yeah, messengers can be human-like. Well, it's, this is sort of human-like action from heavenly messengers, which is really... Mm-hmm interesting to think about. And of course, here we see that it's, it is this close relationship where the, the line that's hard to distinguish, I mean, he's saying it's a special messenger, obviously, my name is within him. So I'll just put in a plug for my course, by the way, on the name of God, which we've already mentioned a couple of times. It's very important, in my view, to understand uh, the actual name of God and how it functions in the context of the Hebrew Bible. But this is a really special relationship saying my name is within him. It, it is sort of blurring that line in some ways. Um, There's some kind of very special relationship. And then in the Psalms passage, um, it's a little bit more generic, but the similar idea, like God sends a part of himself or a being that he creates with a special relationship to protect you, to go before you. And I think uh, many people would read these Psalms and, um, you know, uh, in order to enhance their own relationship with the divine. Um, Nick, do you have a course on the Psalms? I think you do. I do indeed have a course in the Psalms, yes. Uh, um, Psalms in Hebrew context, and, uh, and we go through uh, questions about, about Malachim. We actually talk quite a bit about what Shia was discussing with the name of God, the Shem Adonai, and what, what listeners might find interesting and helpful here, since we're talking about God and the relationship between God and God's messengers, God's name in the biblical text isn't just letters on a page. When the Bible talks about God's name, oftentimes what that means is a presence of God, like a physical locative presence of God. So for example, in Deuteronomy, God will say, you know, when you cross over into the land that I'm giving you and you find the place where I'm going to put my name, then you offer sacrifices there. 
So that means that God's presence is going to be in the temple in Jerusalem. And Deuteronomy consistently talks about God's name being there. If you remember when the, uh, the, when Solomon builds the first temple, it's God's kavod, it's God's glory that rests in the temple and fills up the temple so that the priests can't even get into it. So it's a spatial, physical entity. The same is true of God's name, God's Shem. So for the Bible to talk about God putting God's name into the messenger is essentially to say divine, that, that, that it's God's very presence going uh, and guarding the Israelites. These are interesting ideas, which may actually lead to the question, wait, why do we talk about angels instead of talking about messengers? Why do we have angel and demon in English rather than translations of what those terms meant in Greek or the equivalent terms in Hebrew? Why do we, why do we have these borrowings from Greek? It is confusing. So we are actually in our modern languages changing the semantic world, changing the concepts of the biblical and second temple period literature. The problem is that it does seem like in the second temple period, this division does develop. There is some sort of understanding of something that we now call an angel, which is not just the same as any human messenger. So it's complex. In the seminar, the panelists all agreed that specifics about angels are not clear in the Hebrew Bible. But when we move to Second Temple period, we have more writings on layers of the spiritual realm and on categories of spiritual beings. So the text shows us how Jewish writers are developing their thoughts on the spiritual realm and afterlife. We are going to consider the Book of Jubilees, where you can see how much more complex the writings about angels are. And the first word here must go to Tupa because these are some of her favorite texts. So it's interesting because uh, let, I'm trying to remember the word, but it's like, it's an expansion of previous texts. So mm -hmm. uh, I have a friend who says that it's um, like fun fiction. It's not a, to disrespect the text, it's just an, an expanded universe from the, the previous text. So what Jubilees is saying, and it's trying, it's tr bringing to people is precisely explaining better who are those uh, those things, those, um, those spirits, those ruach, and also the, the evil part. Who are they? How they work? Why they are there? Do they work with God or not? And how they how they interact. So it's very interesting because as you said before, uh, we're in the second temple period and it's the period where there is way more talk and way more development on these issues. And one very interesting thing about the angels, it's similarly to Malachi, was we have here uh, the word huach, and it's also a word that can mean a variety of things. And we know that this angel, because of the other words and the context where it's inserted, but it could also mean breath or wind or mm -hmm. many other things. And even evil uh, or demons, uh, I tend to call them evil beings because I work more with the evil ones than with all the demons. Yeah, we, we will get to those in a, in a moment. Um, they're sometimes called evil angels also, which is interesting. 
I, here this text is commenting on Genesis, obviously. You know, the first day he created the heavens and the earth and the waters and all of the spirits. It's interesting because in Genesis, it's just Ruach singular. And here it's all of the spirits. And then they categorize them. And this is kind of hierarchical as far as I understand it. Like the angels of the presence and the angels of holiness or sanctification are the top two tiers, I think, in the understanding of Jubilees. And then there are all these others, like the spirit of fire, winds, clouds, darkness, resounding thunder and lightning. Can I ask an uncomfortable question of all of you? I mean, it, what, is, what do they mean by angels of thunder and lightning? Are we getting uncomfortably close to pagan gods? Or, you know, what is the idea here? I would just say that this shouldn't be uncomfortable for readers uh, or worry readers that the text is getting a little too close to Greek or Roman or polytheistic understandings, because what, what's happening here is actually a, how do I put this, a Judaification of, of, mono, of I'm sorry, of other polytheistic understandings of the gods. So in the Greek gods, there was a god of the sea. There was a god of war. There was a god of different weather systems. There was a god of fire. So what what the Jubilees writers are doing is saying, are taking away power from those other gods by slotting in the idea of malachim, the idea of angels as being the rep, um, the sort of um, behind the scenes engines of these things, of these natural things, as opposed to the gods of other nations. So this is actually pulling closer to Israelite religion than it is pulling readers towards, you know, Greek or Roman religion. I think another thing is, uh, if angels are part of God, as we were saying, how they are connected and not necessarily something completely separate. So at the end, they are aspects of things that God does. And they are not necessarily in this assumption that there was like a personified thing that just take care of, of, I mean, thunder or darkness. And I, I think darkness is a very interesting thing because darkness is often associated with something terrible and scary. And we can understand why. If you walk in the dark, you see it's scary. It's still scary. So it's interesting that darkness is also a part of what God's controlling, which also makes sense because God controls everything. So darkness is also part of the, his domains and all part of what he does. Well, this is not actually from Jubilees, so it's called here Pseudo-Jubilees, but it's a, one that was found at the Qumran community in the Dead Sea Scrolls. And we start to see how they're going to explain this opposition in the spiritual world. I don't know what we want to call it. Um, it's not exactly separate from our world, but you know the other dimension of existence um, here it's talking about the Akedah, the binding of Isaac, and it says the angels of holiness, Malachi Kodesh, were standing weeping above his sons from the earth, and the angels of the animosity, uh, Malachi Hamastema, I guess it's reconstructed as, were rejoicing and saying, now he will come to an end. So, you know, two two opposing forces kind of watching over the um, binding of Isaac, uh, trying to influence it in one way or the other. I don't know if this is where we get the idea of good angel on one shoulder and bad angel on the other shoulder. But it's something like that. I mean, what is this mastema that starts appearing? Tupa, I think you're probably the one to tell us about that. <laughs> yeah, so it's 
Mastema is a very interesting figure because when we look into the Dead Sea Scrolls, we don't see yet uh, this very personified thing. So the angels of animosity, it's more like a category or it's not like one guy or one, one figure by himself. And we are going to see that the angel of Mastema asks God for some of the spirits of the giants so he can help into punishing humans that go, go straight. So it's not like he's an evil thing that it's uh, against God. He's more like someone that's working with and is also doing a part in the balance of things in the universe. And especially he, here, like it doesn't, they are responsible for animosity, but they are not necessarily evil. They are responsible for this thing that needs to be part of the world as well. And, or at least in this period of time that they are living, this thing needs to be part of the world. So in, in the Dead Sea Scrolls, you also have other figures like Belial and the Sons of Darkness and stuff, but they're they are never like completely described as one entity, like separate as we are going to see later in other developments. So the Masama and the, the angels of Masama, they are more like part of the things that that need to exist in this moment more than just evil. Hmm. So the distinctions are not always clear. And this is a nice segue into next week's conversation about demons, which really means we're going to talk about how there are many ways to understand demons. As I mentioned before, there are other roundtable talks available to you if you want to spend some time digging into these issues. Talks such as Angels and Evil in Second Temple Judaism or The Unseen Realm in the Bible. And don't forget, I've added links to those in the show notes. If you're looking for a place to explore new aspects of the Bible, join us here at IBC, where you have access to many amazing courses, along with other roundtable talks with world-renowned scholars. Thank you, Jeremy McDonald from Mason Jar Music for doing an amazing job editing, mixing, and adding in all of the good music. And thank you for hanging out with me and being curious about all things Bible-related. <laughs>